Okay, this evening uh, we're just uh, going to continue a stay we've been doing in the law and uh, planning on uh, wrapping it up, dealing with uh, Paul and the law. And uh, Barbara's here tonight, and uh, I know uh, you heard some some of what we did back with the youth Bible study. So um, maybe have some review and, and some more that we'll cover too. Uh, but uh, we'll probably uh, wrap up tonight, uh, and then uh, we're just going to be finishing up uh, some last things in Isaiah and then uh, work our way uh, back into uh, Genesis. Although, for me, kind of the, the break has been refreshing. I'm getting more and more excited for uh, well, Isaiah, but uh, Genesis, uh, just because uh, with the Youth Bible Study, we're uh, teaching for quite some time, so uh, it's refreshing to go uh, elsewhere for a little bit. But we'll be in Romans 7, uh, looking at the surrounding context. And uh, we've been just looking at uh, the, the law, uh, the Torah, uh, in the, the New Testament, and uh, how the, the Apostle Paul uh, addresses it. Uh, and we've been looking at a number of things. Uh, we were talking about the first, uh, the unity of the law, that uh, many uh, church tradition have tried to uh, divide the law uh, or Torah up into uh, just uh, legal sections, uh, commandments, legal bits, uh, and they'll traditionally divide it into the moral law, uh, the civil law, and the ceremonial law, saying that Christ has fulfilled the uh, ceremonial, uh, that uh, the civil uh, applied to Israel, uh, the theocracy, and uh, the church currently isn't under a theocracy, so uh, that has uh, fallen by the wayside. Uh, And then we're just left with the the moral uh, for for us to uh, keep, to to be pleasing to God. Uh, Not even say there, if Christ has only fulfilled the ceremonial, uh, we're all in great, great trouble. Uh, there, there are implications there, and I think there's inconsistency talking about the, uh, often in uh, Reformed tradition, but I believe it's biblical, uh, talking about the active obedience of Christ and the passive obedience. Uh, he came to fulfill all righteousness, not just the ceremonial. He, he came to keep the law perfectly that we couldn't do. Uh, to fulfill all of God's covenants of promise, to fulfill uh, the Mosaic covenant, the law covenant, uh, to keep it perfectly, uh, we couldn't do it. And his, uh, uh, they'll talk about his passive obedience uh, in uh, even in suffering uh, to uh, to the, the the point point of death. Uh, he was he was obedient in all things, but even there, uh, I lay my life down; no one takes it from me. Uh, and so. Uh, there's uh, something active there, but we were talking about how the, the law, as the biblical authors see it, uh, Christ, the apostles, the prophets, uh, first century Jews, and uh, even, even the Old Testament, they generally saw the law uh, more as a unity uh, in, in general, uh, the Torah. Uh, and so uh, they generally uh, would talk about the Tanakh, uh, which was the uh, the law, the prophets, and the writings, uh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketavim. Uh, and so there are three divisions, law, prophets, writings. 
Uh, it can also be called Moses and the prophets. Moses and the prophets and the writings. Because Moses is the author of the first five books. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, and when they're talking about the Torah, uh, the law, uh, they're talking about the first, uh, the first section uh, generally of scripture. And it can have parts, it can have different, different aspects and uh, sections you can look at, but uh, it's, the, it's the Torah, uh, it's the, uh, the, the law. Uh, and we've seen that uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, he can draw from uh, the books, uh, Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, he can uh, also draw from different genres in quoting, talking negatively about the law or talking positively uh, about it. He can draw from historical narrative. Uh, he can draw from, yeah, uh, more legal-oriented material, uh, poetry, wisdom, prophecy, uh, genealogy. Uh, the Torah is filled with a whole lot more uh, the law than law, <laughs> as far as uh, just commandments or legal bits uh, goes. There's, there's a whole lot more there. And so uh, Paul can uh, talk about, uh, for instance, uh, we saw in Galatians 4, uh, he can talk about uh, Avram or Abram and uh, Sarai uh, and uh, Hagar uh, and their uh, children that they had. And he's instructing them from the law. But he's drawing from Genesis. He's drawing from narrative. You, uh, you who, uh, who would keep the, the law, they want to be under the law. Do you not listen to the law? And then he instructs them from the book of Genesis. Uh, he can quote from the, the wilderness wanderings uh, to instruct them and say it's written for our instruction uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians. We were looking at that last week and uh, a bit the, the week before uh, is, as well, uh, talking about uh, idolatry uh, that the people fell into in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 10. Uh, he can also quote positively uh, from so-called uh, moral law, but then civil law and ceremonial law, and, and quote positively, and even quote it as an authority, and say, uh, do I say this on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same? Uh, and then he goes uh, and starts to expound, uh, defending his own ability, him and Barnabas, to uh, take believing wives, to, uh, to receive something for uh, preaching and proclaiming the, the gospel uh, for their, their livelihood, some material support. And he's drawing from the so-called uh, civil and ceremonial law. Paul, what are you doing? Uh, if he's following along uh, with this, uh, how can you do that? And quote that positively. And uh, he quotes as an authority uh, because all scripture is God-breathed. Uh, it's divine authority. It's, it's God's holy and righteous, uh, righteous uh, word. Uh, however, he's not quoting it as law covenant uh, that, that brings a curse upon them. Uh, and so uh, we spoke about the, the unity of the law, uh, but then we also introduced some uh, categories for understanding uh, Paul's different stances toward the law and what he uh, does with it, uh, the Torah, the five books of Moses, because there are these seemingly negative statements that you have to wrestle with, but then there are positive statements on the other hand. And uh, sometimes people emphasize or cherry pick one or the other, but we have to take it all together and, and hold it all together and understand 
uh, how, how Paul and Christ and his apostles and prophets use it. So uh, we spoke about, and we'll be uh, reviewing and looking at some of this in the book of Romans. So I'll just kind of gloss over it now and then we'll uh, illustrate it more. Uh, but uh, scholar Brian S. Rosner uh, has summarized it as, uh, first, uh, there are three things Paul does uh, toward the law, and it's different capacities or functions that serves. Uh, and he has three different stances toward it. Uh, first, he polemically repudiates the law as law covenant. Uh, law as law. A uh, law as legal code uh, that bound the people under the Mosaic Covenant uh, in that if they didn't, if they broke uh, even one commandment, they broke the whole law and came under condemnation and a curse. Uh, And so he polemically repudiates, polemical, uh, especially because he's dealing with false teachers uh, and teaching in the the church, uh, sort of an aggressive form of argumentation uh, where he isn't, he isn't playing nice. Uh, he's, he's aggressive. He's, he's even provocative in dealing with his uh, opponents uh, sometimes. And so he polemically repudiates the law, Torah, as law covenant, law as law that brings a curse. Second, he wholeheartedly replaces the law, Torah, uh, as Rosner says theological motif, and by day basically means new covenant themes. Uh, there are new covenant themes, uh, emphases that it's not that uh, none of that was there. Uh, the Torah itself pointed forward. Uh, they trusted in God's covenants of promise. They trusted in his promises. Uh, they were saved only by grace alone, through faith alone, uh, in God, in his promises, and in uh, ultimately uh, the uh, anointed one who is to come, uh, God in the, the flesh, uh, the, the ultimate Davidic king. And so uh, Paul will say things like that he's, uh, he's, to the Jews, he becomes as, as a Jew. To those under the law, he becomes as one under the law. Although not really, uh, not really uh, under the, the law. Uh, but uh, he goes on to say uh, that he's under the law of Christ. He's not, he's not lawless. Uh, the, law, the law of God, the law of Christ, something, something bigger, something transcendent uh, that goes beyond uh, just the, uh, the law covenant, uh, the Mosaic covenant, uh, the, the law of Christ. And the law of Christ, it's not, it's not merely just new commandments, but uh, he puts his spirit uh, in us. And he circumcised hearts under the old covenant, but uh, and, uh, the law of Christ is fulfilled in uh, you shall love one another. Uh, wash one another's feet, serve one another, uh, even drawing from uh, some ideas in the, the Torah, loving God, uh, loving our neighbor. Uh, he talks about uh, no longer uh, the law, not the law written on tablets of stone, but the law written on uh, tablets of flesh uh, by the Spirit. So not, not just the stones that Moses uh, brought down, the, the uh, Ten Commandments, but now God's law is written on our hearts in the, the new covenant. And so there are all these themes and emphases about walking in the spirit, faith working through love, not working to, to, uh, uh, to be justified or, or anything like that, but uh, we're not saved by good works, but for good works, as he says in uh, Ephesians. And it's, it's by the power of the spirit. Uh, 
and the, all of the, the blessings of salvation. They're only uh, received through faith in, in Christ as a free gift. So he polemically repudiates the Torah as a legal code, as law covenant uh, that uh, brings a curse. Uh, he wholeheartedly, or he radically replaces the Torah as theological motif or with new covenant themes and emphases. Uh, and thirdly and finally, he wholeheartedly reappropriates the law, the Torah, as scripture, as a source of wisdom and prophecy. And it has genealogy and, and all, these, all these genres and, and such. Uh, and so as it's consistent, uh, the, the Torah, uh, uh, not as law covenant, but as scripture, with God's character and work and purposes in creation and with uh, the teachings of Christ, the mediator of the new covenant and his apostles and prophets, the Torah, it's profitable. Uh, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Uh, the, the Torah is profitable as scripture for training in righteousness, uh, to, to teach us, to instruct us, and over and over again. Paul says it's written for our instruction. Uh, and draws from, he draws from so-called moral, civil, ceremonial, and from uh, historical narrative and it's not just commandments uh, and we were talking about you get in trouble if you just think of the Torah even if you're under the old covenant as just commandments or just just legal bits uh, that's that's what it is but it taught things like they needed circumcised hearts they needed God to forgive their sins they needed uh, they needed a different spirit like Caleb and Joshua they need God's spirit uh, to uh, to empower them and, and bring them to, to faith and to cause them to walk in God's commandments by his grace and uh, all through through faith. Uh, and just as a quick example, and then we'll get to Romans. Uh, I was reading recently uh, in, uh, in Numbers. Uh, in reading through, I read about the Israelites. Uh, God commanded them to uh, make tassels, uh, all of them, uh, for the... The, the hem of their robes uh, all around, blue, blue tassels. And I was thinking about that as, well, the priests had tassels around their, uh, their robes. And I uh, looked up a commentary, and uh, he was talking about how uh, even these blue tassels uh, correspond to the, kind of the, the blue and uh, the, the materials that were made for the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was really just a, a pattern, a microcosm of, God's, uh, God's dwelling place in heaven. Uh, he doesn't really uh, just dwell in uh, temples made of, uh, of hands. Uh, the, the whole creation was basically made as a place for God to dwell in the midst of his, uh, of his people. Uh, and here, the Israelites, they're to put tassels around their robes, not just the, the priests. And they were a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And I read this and... I'm not thinking, oh boy, I, I better put tassels around my uh, my robes. Oh, I don't, I don't have any robes. I better, I better get a robe and start wearing tassels. You know, I, I didn't think that for a moment, but I also didn't think, oh, this is just ceremonial. You know, don't need to do that. It's like, kingdom of priests, a, a holy nation uh, in in the new covenant. 
Uh, Christians are sharers in the promises and the kingdom and are there to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to uh, to offer themselves as living sacrifices to God, to, to serve him. And, and it's not tassels around our robes by which we remember that anymore, but uh, in scripture we see, uh, we see these connections and it reminds us of the great privilege and honor uh, that that we have that's utterly mind-boggling that we would serve serve God and, and ultimately dwell in, in his presence uh, and serve him forevermore. Uh, that's what he's called us uh, to be, a kingdom of priests. And so that, I'm, I'm not binding, I'm not bringing myself back under the law covenant. I better keep this, you know, uh, as where I'm, I'm legally bound uh, and uh, a curse is going to come upon me. But we learn from it. Uh, we learn from the, the Torah uh, is uh, we understand it and ho- hold it up to uh, Christ's teaching uh, and the, the apostles and, and prophets. Uh, it's it's perfectly uh, consistent. But we can't go around and start telling Christians now, well, you better wear tassels around your garments because then we'd be we'd be binding them to what uh, what Christ has. Uh, that was uh, that was the the old covenant, uh, and we could give many examples for. Uh, uh, just some of the stuff we reviewed, but even uh, with the, the moral law, uh, they'll generally say that the Ten Commandments are the moral law. And there's there's a lot of truth in what, there, there are lots of grains of truth in such in what they're saying. Uh, generally, the Ten Commandments, by and large, uh, with with some details, you know, you have to talk about, but by and large, uh, those things were uh, true uh, before uh, the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, Before the Tablets of Stone, murder was wrong before uh, the Sinai Covenant. It was wrong during, it's wrong after. Uh, And so, you know, there's some truth there, but look at things like, well, honor your father and mother. Well, they're to be stoned uh, if they they didn't. We're we're not bound to that. A curse doesn't come upon uh, upon us, uh, but we've been been justified uh, in in Christ. Uh, And... Uh, the, the Sabbath. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, the uh, word for Sabbath uh, can either uh, uh, mean basically uh, a week, be used to refer to like a whole week, uh, otherwise a particular day uh, at the end of the, the week. And every single time, that doesn't mean week, uh, it always, always, always refers to the Jewish Sabbath at the end of the week. Not the Lord's Day at the beginning of the week. Always. Uh, Bob, and, Bob and I were talking about that. I think he ended up writing an uh, article uh, on that uh, as well. Uh, and uh, Paul says, don't let anyone judge you concerning Sabbaths. Well, what are a lot of Reformed Presbyterian and Reformed Baptist churches doing? They bind people to, not to the Saturday end of the week Sabbath, but to a beginning of the week, Sunday, uh, Sabbath. Uh, it's never used for uh, the Lord's Day. It's never used for the beginning of the week, always then. It's when Paul's going into the synagogues and such uh, to preach the gospel to Jews uh, in the early church in the temple. A lot of times they'd meet at the temple on Sabbath. They were Jews and they uh, retained some continuity with their old traditions, but uh, would also start meeting on uh the beginning of the, the week too. And the author of Hebrews says, don't forsake gathering together. This is the habit of some. 
So we, we, must, not, we must not do that uh, to our own harm and peril. But Paul says, don't let anyone judge you concerning Sabbaths. And there are Reformed Presbyterian and Baptist churches that falsely bind people to a new Sunday Sabbath. Uh, if, if that was still binding, then the Seventh-day Baptists and the Seventh-day Adventists uh, and some Messianic uh, Jewish groups uh, that have fallen into some legalism, they would be right. We ought to be meeting on Saturday then. Uh, but we're not bound uh, to that. Don't let anyone judge you concerning Sabbaths. And he goes on to talk about new moons and weeks and feasts and years. And that's all from Leviticus. The Sabbath, uh, there is a Sabbath at the end of every week. Uh, but then there were uh, Sabbaths in their feasts, uh, Passover. Uh, well, they have the Feast of Un- Unleavened Bread in the Passover on the 14th. Uh, and then the 21st, the Feast of Unleavened Bread would end. Uh, and then uh, 49 days after uh, the first fruits and with the harvest, or they'd have the Feast of First Fruits, Pentecost, uh, waiting 49 days and on the, the 50th. Uh, and then in the seventh month, on the 10th day, the Day of Atonement. Uh, and then uh, I think it's maybe the 14th to the, well, look again, to 21st, or uh, Feast of Tabernacles, and uh, which was uh, for uh, seven days, as I recall. And and then they'd have, uh, every seven years, they'd have a release. And 49 years, the year of Jubilee, all this idea of rest, rest, rest. Uh, God's rest for, for the people, for the land, for those who were in slavery and bondage and who had debts. Uh, they were looking to ultimate rest. And uh, so all this stuff Paul draws together. And how much more explicit could you get? Let no one judge you concerning Sabbaths. Uh, even... Reformed Presbyterian and Baptist ministers who falsely bind to that. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very it's regrettable, it's uh, sad, it's uh, very troubling to see uh, that, uh, that baggage. And uh, there is a lot out of the, the Reformation, I mean, uh, tremendous good to be thankful uh, to, to God for. I mean, uh, overwhelming. And, and what they came out of, would we have gone that far? Uh, not not apart from God, uh, we we wouldn't have uh, Martin Luther and the, the first reformers. They were Roman Catholic priests, uh, although even then it was kind of developing into Roman Catholicism more more and more and more. Uh, they were priests. Uh, they they thought, um, but they also taught you know uh, semper reformanda, always reforming. Uh, we have to go back to Scripture, uh, and so we have to rightly uh, understand uh, these these things so that we don't falsely bind people and ourselves to the law covenant and to what, what we're not bound to, uh, the law as law, but also that we don't miss how profitable it is. And uh, as being maybe a little polemical my, myself, you know, maybe not too, too hard, but uh, okay. So, you know, Paul, uh, Paul and us, uh, we're, we're the antinomians. Oh, okay. Um, well, you're just saying the, the moral. You know, keep keep the moral. We're saying the whole Torah is profitable as scripture, uh, as a source of wisdom and prophecy and teaching and instruction. Uh, even your so-called moral civil ceremonial bits. And, you know, there's a little, there, there are food laws and things like, uh, like that. But they didn't generally uh, divide things up quite that, uh, quite that way. And it doesn't explain all the negative and positive texts that, uh, that we find. So... 
that's just a bit of a review because I know uh, not everyone was here and uh, some, some missed last week. So now I'd like to look into Romans, and we'll touch on uh, some of these ideas uh, more. I'd like to get into Romans 7, but we'll, we'll see. We, we might have to end up going one, uh, one last week uh, just because uh, we've had to do some uh, review uh, each of the weeks. So first, uh, let's just go to uh, Romans uh, one, uh, I'll go ahead and show you a little bit about uh, just how kind of the, the epistle fits together and the flow of thought as we work into it and show you uh, Paul's dealing with the law along, along the way as we work toward uh, focusing especially on uh, five through the beginning of uh, eight and uh, especially seven, which we're, we'll see where we get. And now, I thought uh, Eric did a nice job uh, just starting out in Romans 1, uh, verse uh, 13. Uh, he's talking about his plans uh, to, uh, to go to the, the Romans, uh, to visit them, uh, to get some spiritual fruit among them, uh, and to, uh, to share some, some gift uh, with, with them, teaching the gospel, encouragement uh, in, in the, the faith, and also for him uh, to be uh, built up. But uh, Paul, he doesn't fully reveal his, uh, his plans here, but uh, at the end of the epistle, he wants them to partner with him in the gospel. He's planning, he wants to go to Spain where the gospel hasn't been before. And he, he needs help uh, because uh, he had support uh, in his missionary journey uh, from Jerusalem, north up the Mediterranean coast and west along uh, southern Asia Minor, uh, modern-day uh, Turkey into uh, Macedonia and uh, Greece over the, the Aegean Sea. Uh, he had places that he could go, uh, like Antioch, uh, Jerusalem, uh, other places that were established. The Philippians helped him, uh, later the Church of Ephesus. And there are a lot of places where he could receive support. Spain, however, was a long ways away, uh, and he had to go uh, by a ship, uh, basically. Uh, and would have to go through Rome. And so he needed uh, help. He needed uh, support. Uh, and there were many that he knew uh, in, uh, in Rome. In fact, there's a big list of people that he mentions at the end of uh, the uh, letter of uh, Romans. But even uh, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, they, were, uh, they came out of Rome. They, they were cast out under uh, Claudius. Uh, had an edict casting out the Jews. And because the early Christians were well, largely Jews and, and connected with this faith, uh, they were cast out too. And at this time, uh, it seems they, uh, they were able to go back to, to Rome. And so uh, he tells them, verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, uh, both to wise, the wise and to the foolish. Uh, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And so I'm under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians. And a lot of times that, that was sort of a Greek way uh, expanded with uh, Hellenistic uh, Greek culture and the language spreading. Uh, a lot of times for just referring to all peoples. 
You had those who spoke Greek, and you have everyone else. Uh, and so Greeks and barbarians, and I uh, think in uh, a Greek, it's kind of like an idea of, well, here, uh, uh, varvaris. Uh, I think it's even kind of like an idea, almost kind of like a, even like a sort of babbling or, or something. It's because Greeks didn't understand uh, the, the other languages. And so it kind of summarizes all people, uh, Gentiles, that Paul has obligation toward uh, for the pro- proclamation of the gospel. He's, he's the, the apostle to the Gentiles. And so I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And now it's very interesting what he does. This is the introduction of his letter. He doesn't do something to just like totally separate into the body, but he makes the rest of the letter supporting what he just said. His eagerness, his readiness, his obligation to proclaim the gospel, the very thing that he wants them to become participants in. Uh, And so the book of Romans is to equip them uh, in the gospel, uh, to uh, introduce Paul's gospel to them, uh, to equip them uh, to deal with any possible problems that they could be dealing with uh, in the church. Uh, And Judaizers and such were were all over uh, so that uh, they would be uh, ready uh, to participate uh, with uh, with Paul. Uh, this is central, and as a uh, linguist, uh, Stephen Rungi, he's uh, very much kind of a biblical scholar as well, uh, just points this out, where now we see four, four, four. Where normally four, it introduces something that's supported. And so if you have an exhortation, maybe that's, uh, a lot of times that'll be one of the main points in a letter. Uh, Paul wants to exhort them uh, to something, whether to avoid some error uh, or uh, to holiness. Or, and then you'll use four, and it supports it somehow. Generally, a lot of times they'll introduce motivational material, showing that God has empowered them uh, to, to walk in holiness according to their calling, uh, showing them some rationale uh, that they have for, uh, for obeying some exhortation or commandment. Uh, maybe even showing the thanksgiving that they should have uh, uh, to obey it, or, or even warnings for, uh, for obeying it. Or sometimes if he's not exhorting, uh, it might be, maybe he's making an argument. He wants them to know something or to understand or believe something, and he'll use support. He might use reasons or uh, some logical basis for, uh, for an argument that, uh, that he's making. Maybe why the gospel is only by, by faith. And so here... What follows, uh, he frames it in such a way that you have kind of the, the main point in the body of the letter is supporting this eagerness, uh, this, uh, this readiness that then, as Rangi says, uh, maybe kind of a tactical way, way to do it. He introduces these ideas about the Gentiles and such, but he's going to give them the gospel and such and get to the end and then say, now I want you to partner with me uh, and help me in this. I'll come to you and uh, we'll, we'll share and be encouraged by one another's faith. Uh, and, uh, and he, he can teach and share the gospel with them, but then also to go to, go to, to Spain. And so he's introducing himself to these people and, and equipping them. So I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Uh, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Christians here. Why? Why is he eager? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
Why is he not ashamed? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to all people. This is the power of God unto salvation. Why be ashamed of that? We can't be ashamed of that. We have to be eager to proclaim it and preach it. Uh, and so that's why he's not ashamed. This is the very power of God. Uh, and uh, some, I, I remember, I don't listen to John Piper too much, but I remember some years back him just talking about, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why does he have to say that? <laughs> why does he have to say, I'm not ashamed? And Well, the gospel's folly to, to Gentiles and to to Jews, uh, Paul had scorn heaped upon him for, uh, for the gospel. Uh, to them, as he talks about in Corinthians, it seemed weak. It seemed foolish. It wasn't what uh, Gentiles and, uh, and Jews were looking for, uh, apart, from, apart from God's spirit, uh, apart from God uh, working in their, their hearts. Uh, and so here you have the, the crucified Jewish Anointed king. That's what Messiah is. Anointed. That seemed like a foolish message to people. But Paul's saying he's not ashamed. It's the power of God unto salvation. That's the message through which uh, God saves. uh, To the Jew first and also uh, to the the Greek. Uh, And so, why? He supports it. That's the, the power of God to all. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Faith to, from beginning to end. I, I think uh, Eric handled that very well. As it is uh, written, the righteous shall live by faith. From beginning, uh, from, it's kind of the source, faith, and to faith, the goal. It's basically from beginning to, it's all of faith. Uh, the, uh, the, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The righteous shall live by faith. And why is it by faith? It's because it is not by works. Works only brings the wrath of God, not the righteousness of God. The righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's why it's by faith. It's because it's not by works. Because works bring not the righteousness of God, but the wrath of God. Uh, and that's what he treats through the rest of this chapter, uh, as Eric's working through, uh, focusing on uh, Gentiles, showing that they're under condemnation. Uh, they know the truth about God uh, in the very fabric of creation. Uh, 24-7, uh, all around them, 360 degrees, as I think I heard a professor say at the uh, Master's Seminary, general revelation testifies to all people uh, that God exists, uh, that he's powerful, uh, and that they owe their allegiance to him, and they've, they've broken his law. Uh, their conscience shows them. It's limited in what it reveals, but it does make everyone without uh, excuse. And so then, chapter 2 and just look at the last verse of uh, chapter 1 going into 2. So he goes through this whole list. Uh, God handed, uh, gave them over, gave them over, gave them over. Whole vice list of all these sins uh, that people fall into uh, in their uh, rebellion uh, against God. Uh, though they 
know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them, to those who do likewise. So they not only do these things, but they approve those who, who do them uncelebrated, and we, uh, we see that uh, everywhere, or we should, uh, all around us, uh, in, in the world. Uh, people celebrate and revel uh, in their, uh, their sin. And so, uh, Paul now uh, turns, and he's going to start building more to uh, Jews. It seems like this could still uh, apply to Gentiles, but he's going to reveal them. He's going to start uh, dealing with Jews, showing that uh, both for Jews and Gentiles, there's no impartiality with God. Uh, but uh, Gentiles, uh, they know God's law through their conscience, as imperfect as it is. Uh, and they're uh, condemned by it. It brings uh, the condemnation of death. Uh, and uh, gen- uh, Jews, uh, through, through the law, uh, through the, the law uh, covenant. So therefore you have no excuse, O man, everyone of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So maybe, maybe celebrating, you know, Paul, yeah, get them, Paul, get, get those, uh, those Gentiles. And uh, now he's turning it around saying, yeah, you're saying what they're doing is wrong. You do the same things. You're guilty too. Uh, and uh, he uh, builds through this showing... Uh, Verse 11, for God shows no partiality. Talks about those who sin with the law and without the law, uh, both uh, Gentiles and Jews. Uh, In verse 15, uh, they show the work of the law written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew... And rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, uh, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? He shows they're guilty too. We're going to come back to that in Romans 7, seeing Paul with his mind, he could give mental assent to the law, that it was good. But apart from the Spirit, he's in slavery to sin and comes under condemnation and death. Just like the, the, the Jew here who approves of God's law, uh, that it's holy, righteous, and good, but apart from God's Spirit, uh, apart from Christ, can't obey it. Uh, the law is not the ultimate problem. It's indwelling sin. But the law is not the solution either. It can't justify, sanctify, or glorify. Uh, we need... Uh, we need Christ and his spirit. And so then uh, in uh, chapter 3, uh, he raises some things. Uh, what advantage is there to being a Jew? Starts to address that, but kind of gets away. he will get back to that in Romans 9. Uh, and he uh, concludes this whole section, uh, uh, verses uh, chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, uh, all the way through uh, chapter 3, verse 9. In the end of this section. Uh, what then? Are we Jews any better off? Uh, ultimately, they did have advantages, but ultimately, when it comes to being right, one's right standing before God, no, they, they were guilty. Uh, no, not at all. 
For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. Now, there's a whole movement called the seeker movement. Trying to attract those who are seeking for God. Paul says no one seeks for God. Why is there a seeker movement? There shouldn't be. God seeks for sinners. Uh, Christ came to save and redeem the lost. Uh, And so it's quite amazing. No one seeks for God. There's a whole movement that unashamedly, in the evangelical movement, calls itself the seeker movement. Uh, Amazing. But here, Jews and Gentiles are condemned. And this will bring us uh, back to the law. I want to show you a couple couple contrasts. Uh, verse uh, 19. And so he, he draws from Isaiah, the Psalms, uh, from Scripture, uh, showing the sinfulness of man, Jew and uh, Gentile, that they're, they're all guilty. No one is good. Uh, they, they, need, uh, they need a Savior. Uh, it's, it's not by works. It's only by faith. So, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And we'll see later, he didn't know sin apart from the law. The law makes it very clear what sin is, whether one's conscience or the, the Torah. But here, it's obviously very, very negative. And he'll even, uh, even say, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So uh, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. And here, condemning the law as law. The law is law covenant. Uh, For Gentiles, uh, as those who have the law written on their hearts, uh, in their consciences, they either condemns or excuses them. Uh, Or uh, for for Jews, uh, they had the Torah. Uh, They had the the law covenant. And what the law does, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under under the law. Uh, They're under it. We don't want to be uh, under uh, the law. Uh, as law covenant, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The law reveals sin and it makes everyone uh, accountable to him. Uh, It shows that they're all basically held under uh, disobedience, as Paul says, like at the end of uh, uh, chapter 11, uh, talking about uh, Israel, uh, that uh, God has basically put everyone under disobedience or uh, is he says, it, uh, to paraphrase, so that he can have mercy on, on all. Uh, for all oh, the depth of the riches and knowledge of God. It, it held people accountable because they couldn't be justified by it. They could not keep it. It showed they were all guilty before God. And no one will be able to boast uh, or excuse themselves before him. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Knowing that you're sinful, condemned, and guilty, that doesn't justify you. That's what the, the law does. It has law covenant. But we're going to see, he's going to take a positive turn. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. 
So he polemically repudiated the law as law covenant. It's abrogated. Uh, it's uh, righteousness is not through the law. It's apart from the law as law covenant. Uh, no one can be, uh, can be uh, saved by it. Uh, but we're going to see a, a replacement. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Law and the prophets bear witness to it. Law of scripture. It talked about God. He's going to save his people. It talked about the redemption that's coming. Uh, it pointed forward to uh, the, the people themselves. Only Yahweh was the, the perfectly righteous and just and holy judge uh, and righteous king uh, and, and perfect priest uh, and mediator uh, and uh, utterly authoritative, uh, perfectly truthful uh, prophet. As true prophets, they, they didn't lie, but uh, God, he, he proclaimed his word. Uh, you even see these things uh, in the, the garden offering sacrifice for the people. Uh, he's the one who uh, only righteously, in perfect righteousness, judges and reigns uh, and mediates uh, and uh, proclaims his word with absolute authority. He's the very source of all these things. And so the law and the prophets bore witness to a righteousness uh, that, that would come only by grace through faith. Uh, point, pointed forward. And uh, Paul's going to even draw from Genesis and Abraham uh, to uh, show these things in, in Scripture. So in one sense, the law is negative here. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. There's a law covenant that brings a curse. Although the law, the Torah, and the prophets bear witness to it, and there's the law and the prophets, law, prophets, uh, and writings, uh, shorthand for the, for the scriptures uh, in, their, uh, in their day, what we call the, the Old Testament or uh, the Tanakh. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. So this is the culmination that he's building toward. It's through faith because it's not by works. Righteousness of God is only through faith. Works bring the wrath of God. Uh, and so he gets here and you see a replacement. It's apart from the law. It's only through faith in uh, Jesus uh, Christ. Uh, it's only through the mediator of the new covenant, the one who fulfills uh, the, the law in all of its dimensions, uh, the one who fulfills all of God's covenants of, uh, of promise. And he goes on a show. Yeah, God's wrath was to both Jews and Gentiles. There's no partiality. And now his salvation, his righteousness, is only through faith in Christ. There is no distinction of both Jews and, uh, and Gentiles. Uh, and then uh, he, uh, he even uh, goes, goes into uh, verse 27, then uh, what becomes of our boasting? Uh, it is excluded. Uh, by what kind of law? Uh, by the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. It's been a replacement. Not that people weren't saved by, uh, by grace through faith, but uh, the law, Torah, as law covenant, couldn't save them. It brought a curse. It showed they were guilty. It showed they needed to be saved by grace through faith. Uh, and and to, to look to, to God's promises, to look to the coming uh, Messiah to redeem them. And so, by law of works? No, but by law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Law is law covenant. 
works the law. Or is it God? Or, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. If anyone's here for Ephesians, uh, he says that uh, Christ broke down the uh, dividing wall, a wall of partition uh, that separated uh, Jew uh, and Gentile, forming a new man in the, the church uh, assembly of the redeemed with uh, uh, Christ as the, uh, the cornerstone and the apostles and prophets as the foundation uh, built upon it. Uh, and he said that uh, Christ abolished the law in commandments and ordinances, <laughs> the, the whole thing. And now he says, do we abolish the law? By no means. <laughs> and so the, there are different senses in which he's talking about it uh, there as law covenant. But it's multidimensional when you realize these things uh, with uh, the Torah. Uh, Torah is law covenant. Uh, and then you can have the, the law replaced with the new covenant, new covenant uh, themes. Uh, and then the law as scripture, prophecy and wisdom it's multidimensional in its fulfillment, in which Christ fulfills it. Uh, he bore the wrath. He bore the curse of the law as law covenant uh, that brought a curse upon them. He also kept it perfectly uh, in perfect uh, righteousness and obedience. And so he fulfilled what the people couldn't. He bore uh, their curse uh, and his righteousness. Uh, their sins are imputed to him and his righteousness uh, to them. It's credited to uh, to their account. And so the law, as law covenant, he fulfilled it. He abrogated it. He fulfilled it. He brought it to its end. Uh, it's no longer in force as uh, the, the law covenant. Uh, only he could uh, perfectly uh, keep it uh, and fulfill all of God's, uh, not just the law covenant, but all of his covenants of promise. Uh, the Abrahamic covenant, uh, the uh, priestly covenant, uh, the a Davidic uh, covenant, uh, the new covenant. Uh, you also have the, uh, the Noahic covenant as well. He's the one who brings God's creation blessing to its fullness uh, and, and will we'll establish uh, the Davidic kingship. Uh, he establishes the everlasting priesthood. Uh, one day, uh, Zadok, uh, the descendant of Phinehas, descendant of Eleazar, descendant of Aaron, he's going to establish them. And so individually and corporately, Christ fulfills all of God's uh, blessings of promise. And one day Israel will, will fulfill the place that God has purposed for them. Uh, Christ, he's the ideal Israelite. He's the ideal judge, king, priest, and prophet. Those are all the corporate offices. Shepherd. They were to shepherd God's people, but the nation itself was to judge the nations and rule in righteousness and uh, into they were a kingdom of priests and they were to proclaim make God's word uh, word known uh, the nation too even though it was a nation of uh, judges and kings and priests and prophets but they themselves were uh, supposed to fulfill a uh, function along those lines and Christ individually and corporately he fulfills these things and so uh, but then law of scripture all these prophecies that pointed forward all these uh, covenants uh, all of these things that showed only Yahweh could fulfill these things. Even Moses couldn't enter into the land. Who knew God face to face? 
Only God could ultimately uh, fulfill all of his promises and uh, uh, in blessings. And so uh, we see he can use law in different, uh, in different ways, negative, positive. Law is law covenant, is scripture, prophecy, wisdom. Uh, and it's multidimensional. It helps us understand better all the ways that Christ has uh, fulfilled uh, these things. And later in Romans, he'll say the whole law is fulfilled uh, in this word or, or commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. It's all summed up right there. Uh, love your neighbor and yourself and so fulfill the law of Christ. The, the basic righteous requirement, it's not, not as law covenant, not to be justified, but it's the, it's the fruits of righteousness. It's the practical outworking that uh, Christ, by his spirit, writes his law on their hearts so that they walk uh, in his statutes and commandments so so that uh, we're not glorified in this life, but uh, we can now uh, more and more uh, begin to to love love God with all our heart, soul, uh, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. And uh, we fall far short, but uh, if Christ has redeemed us and our hope and trust is in him, we're not the same as we were before. And that's not, we're, we're, not, we're not going back there uh, we're we're looking forward, and we have hope uh, to uh, that God ultimately is going to to glorify us. And so, uh, it just shows that uh, the this was one of the problems we were talking about with uh, Paul and the law. Uh, he can be negative and positive, and even say one thing. Uh, uh, Christ, he does abrogate the law, and then here, uh, do we do we abrogate the law? By no means. <laughs> and so, uh, in one sense, yes; in another sense, no. Uh, he he uh, fulfills it. Uh, and so now he, uh, he goes through, through Abraham, uh, showing uh, that uh, Abraham is the, uh, the father of, the, of believers, of the, the faithful, the line of uh, promise and blessing, uh, the one who uh, trusted and believed in God, and God credited to him as, as righteousness, uh, both uh, Gentiles who walk in his footsteps and Jews, those who are circumcised who walk in his footsteps. Uh, he uses Abraham to illustrate uh, all of these things, and just want to point out, uh, let's see, if you go down to, let's see, uh, verse, I think it's around, I hope, 12 or so, uh, for, I think in verse uh, 13. And so uh, it talks about how he's the, the father of Jews and Gentiles uh, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring, that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So as law covenant, as keeping works. Although the Torah spoke about these things. I point forward. The Torah, the prophets, the writings, I'll point forward to these things. Uh, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring, that he'd be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through uh, the righteousness of faith. For if uh, it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. That's what he's already proven. Law brings wrath to both Gentiles and Jews. They've all broken it. And so it only brings, brings wrath. And it would make the promise void. Because every sinner has broken it. And so it can't be by works. It can't be through uh, the law covenant and uh, in keeping uh, its uh, commandments. Uh, but only only received by, by faith. 
And so uh, the, pro- uh, the faith is null and the promise is void, for the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace uh, and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also uh, to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Uh, as it is written, I have made you uh, the father of many nations. And by the way, he's going from the Torah there. <laughs> and so uh, go, to, go to the end of the chapter. So he's, he's showing, and he goes on show. Abraham believed. And he talks about, despite his old age, despite even recognizing that his body is as good as dead. Uh, 9,900 years old. Uh, Sarah, about 90 uh, years, uh, years old or so. 89, 90. How could they have children? But he's showing, uh, despite this, despite his inability, he trusted in God. Uh, he... He, he was a, a man of, of faith. And so uh, he, he even, uh, let's uh, read through it. Uh, who is the father of us all? Uh, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Uh, in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. He could have even raised Isaac from uh, the dead. Uh, he raised Christ from uh, the dead. Uh, and there are even uh, those that were uh, resuscitated or brought to life, not resurrection bodies, but uh, under the ministries of Elijah, uh, Elisha, uh, Christ, Paul, Peter. Uh, he raises uh, the, the dead. And so uh, he uh, goes on uh, and calls into existence uh, the things that do not exist in creation. Uh, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Uh, as the, all the sands of the, the, the sea, uh, despite being, being barren all these years. And they were barren uh, before Abraham was called. We know he was called at 75. They were barren uh, be, before that. Couldn't, couldn't have children. Uh, Sarai couldn't, couldn't have children. And then 25 years later, that's when Isaac comes, when, when he's a uh, hundred. Who can do that? But he, he trusted, uh, he trusted God because God can. So in hope, uh, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or uh, when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. It all rested on God, God's ability, his hope, uh, his trust throughout uh, his entire, uh, entire life. And Paul will even build on some of these things, showing that, yeah, we, we start by faith, but we stand in this grace uh, and we have, a, we have a, an eternal hope. And that's what he's going to get to in chapters 5 through, uh, through 8. Uh, and so fully convinced, that, uh, verse 21, that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him uh, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him 
who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So the book of Genesis wasn't written for Abraham. <laughs> uh, is passed down to those who follow. Is written for our sake, as Paul says. He'll, he'll often talk about the, the law there because uh, Genesis is part of the, uh, the law, uh, the, the Torah. And we even saw that in uh, uh, Corinthians uh, last, last week. It's written for our sake. The scripture to instruct us. Not, he's not uh, being a legalist and putting us back under the law covenant. <laughs> uh, it's perf- perfectly consistent with the new covenant and God's work and purposes in, in creation. Uh, and so, uh, it will be counted to us who believe uh, in. Uh, it will be counted to us who believe in Him, uh, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Uh, God did that, Yahweh, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And so, He died on the cross, bore our sins, to bear our sins, our trespasses, to to bear the curse. And thus, even in that capacity, the law is law covenant to bear the curse, uh, to keep it perfectly for us. So he is delivered over for our trespasses and raised in his resurrection from the dead for our justification. He himself was vindicated and showed, shown to be uh, the, the truly righteous one, the sinless one, the, the one, the suffering, sinless, and exalted servant would bear the sins of many and then uh, God would highly exalt him. Uh, my servant, Isaiah 52, 53, uh, uh, he shall be high, lifted up, greatly exalted. That's used again and again for Yahweh. Three times, he shall be high and lifted up. Uh, but this one, he's, he's the exalted one. Uh, he is delivered over for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is written for our... He connects it. He connects it to what Christ has done. You'll be credited to us as righteousness as well, uh, who uh, trusts in God, who raised you know, his uh, eternal son uh, from uh, the dead. And then we won't be going into uh, chapter 7 tonight, but this will give us a bit of an overview uh, if yeah, I think we'll uh, return and just uh, finish uh, finish it off. But now at uh, chapter 5, this kind of brings to a close. So he's been showing his eagerness, readiness uh, to uh, proclaim the gospel. Uh, he's under obligation to, uh, uh, to, to Greeks and to, to barbarians, the wise and the foolish. And he's eager to preach it also to those who are in Rome. He goes on to show why. It's, it's salvation. It's only through the gospel. Uh, to Jews and Gentiles. It's the, it's the power of God until salvation to all who, uh, who believe uh, from faith to faith. For the righteousness of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness. And so working through, uh, through uh, chapter 3, uh, he shows, makes people accountable, guilty of uh, the law. Uh, they're shut up before God. They, they can't answer. They can't boast before God. Uh, but now, uh, apart from the law, the righteousness of God is revealed uh, through, through faith uh, in Christ. Although the law and the prophets, uh, uh, they, they, they revealed it. They, they proclaimed it uh, beforehand. And then through here with Abraham uh, showing just uh, uh, the example, and he even showed David that the, uh, that the, uh, the, the, 
man whose uh, whose uh, sins are forgiven and in uh, lawless deeds. The the blessed uh, the blessed man, as uh, James R. White has spoken about. Who's the blessed man? It's the one whose sins are forgiven, and and God remembers their lawless deeds. Uh, no. No more, and so he uses Abraham to show that Jews and Gentiles are saved by by faith, whether they're the physical heirs of Abraham or uh, those who who weren't physical descendants. And even uh, see that in the uh, the Torah in the, the Old Testament, people like Tamar uh, were grafted in uh, Judah's uh, the 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 Messianic line uh, in the. Uh, Genesis, it's interesting in both the, the line of Israel, the tribes, uh, priest, king, uh, and the judges, shepherds of his people, prophets and such. But he also has tremendous concern with the, the Davidic line. It's through Tamar, this Canaanite, the, the law is through. Wow. Uh, and Rahab at Jericho, Canaanite, she's probably a cult prostitute, but feared Yahweh and came to believe. She's grafted uh, into the, uh, the people of God, and that they joined Israel. But there were also people of uh, Melchizedek. He was a believer. He was a believer. Uh, he was a priest of the, the Most High uh, in his, uh, his day and uh, spoke about, like, Naaman uh, the, the other week. There, there are people who believed uh, throughout, uh, throughout time, Jews and Gentiles, uh, who trust uh, in, uh, in Yahweh. Uh, and so... He demonstrates that, uh, applies it to us. That's all by faith. It's not not by works. Uh, just like uh, just like Abraham, going back to uh, Genesis and the Torah, and then this introduces a new section, uh, chapters five through eight, uh, showing that yes, okay, we're justified. It start start by grace through faith. What now? Do we have do we have to? keep this thing? Or are we responsible? Is it by works now? Uh, how, uh, what now? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, uh, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We stand in this grace. Yeah, we're justified. Yes, we have peace. Yes, we're reconciled, as he's going to go on to talk about. These things are, are past. They're, they're, they're done. They've, uh, they've been completed. But he goes on to talk about, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Standing in this grace, by, by faith, we stand in the very grace that has justified us and reconciled us and given us peace with God. Uh, but, but all the rest... Uh, God doesn't only justify, but he sanctifies. Uh, he'll ultimately glorify, fulfill all of his promises in his kingdom uh, where uh, by faith we'll reign uh, with, uh, with Christ uh, for, forevermore uh, in glory. And he goes on to talk about we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Uh, looking to the future glory of God, uh, the, the fullness of his kingdom and blessing and glory of, of redemption in the new heavens and the new earth. And we rejoice in our present sufferings, knowing that we have this hope and the, uh, the spirit has been poured out in our hearts. And it's this suffering uh, that, uh, that uh, as he says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, proven character. It has to do with the testing. 
uh, tested uh, quality here, showing that uh, our, uh, our faith, our hope is not in, in vain. Uh, and it's it's true. It's a work of it's the work of the Spirit, and it's it's not in vain, but it's, it's in God. Uh, and this proven character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Uh, and so uh, we uh, we rejoice uh, in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in our sufferings, and then. Finally, uh, we will uh, see verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And the rest, it's going to look to this new reign, no longer the reign of sin, condemnation, and death that came through Adam to the entire human race, but the reign of grace, justification, righteousness, uh, and eternal life. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, in uh, in Christ. Uh, this reign that uh, there's an already, but a, a not yet, or, or partial. In part, we have it, but we're looking uh, to uh, the the fullness, and we'll see. This is going to be important as we uh, work through uh, chapter six, uh, where he's going to have to show that uh, not to misunderstand grace. Uh, there are people, uh, false teachers and stuff, that had objections to Paul. Uh, don't misunderstand. Grace, uh, it's not licensed to sin. Uh, Shall we sin so that grace may abound all the more? May it never be. It's not licensed sin. And uh, shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? It's not uh, because we're not under law. You might think, well, we're antinomians. You know, we we can do what we want now and we we have a free pass card. That's not what grace does. A grace... uh, justifies, but also sanctifies and glorifies. It'll break uh, the power of sin uh, in one day, uh, ultimately. Uh, it's there, then he'll go into chapter 7, talking about the law, uh, showing that that there's there's been this change where uh, we're, we no longer serve in the old way of the written code, but the new way of the, the Spirit, to bear fruit to God. We now belong to Christ, not, not to the law as law covenant. But then he's going to vindicate and show the law is not the real pl- problem, Sin is sin, and sin kills, not the law. It's, 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 it's us. He's going to throw us under the bus uh, and uh, himself and his audience. It's, it's indwelling, uh, indwelling uh, sin. And, uh, and so we'll, uh, Lord willing, actually we have, I think we have next week off. Uh, we have, oh, Wednesday night prayer uh, next week on the 4th of November. Uh, but then uh, we can uh, look, look through the rest of uh uh, work into chapter 7 and just give a broad overview and then Eric can come through and uh, do do all the cleanup work and go uh, through the uh, all the detail that he's going to go through. So let's just uh, pray. And, uh, or Does anyone have any uh, questions or, or comments uh, before uh, before we uh, end? Just uh, think about these uh, ideas of uh, law and the different stances that, that Paul, Paul takes and uh, the gospel and such. Take a drink. Otherwise, uh, we can we'll uh, discuss it more uh, next time. So let's uh, pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for uh, the Paul's epistle to uh, to these Christians in Rome, which 
Well, it treats uh, subjects and uh, proclaims a gospel and truth that uh, is utterly amazing to to even even think about that such things could even be written and uh, even uh, even pondered and, and thought by us uh, things that are so weighty and so so beyond what uh, what the the world offers and uh, things that sometimes can uh, can distract us and I pray that you would uh, teach us your word that we would uh, meditate on these things that we would uh, better understand your uh, your word and that our hope and trust would be in you uh, and in your son and that our hope and trust it wouldn't be in vanity uh, it's uh, it's certainly not not in vain and, and worthless uh, because uh, it's in in a perfect uh, savior who offered himself uh, once for all and who fulfills uh, your perfect and righteous and holy law and redeems us uh, from all of our sins and so I thank you for for your son I thank you for uh, his perfect righteousness and also for uh, bearing our sin, our guilt, our condemnation that uh, that we uh, we deserved, and so I pray that you would sanctify us uh, by by your Spirit, and that uh, you'd cause us to uh, to walk uh, in in your statutes, in your teachings, and that we would love you and love uh, one another, and so we thank you for for all these things, and give uh, you and your Son all the glory, and we pray in His name. Amen.